0: The theme of our Vacation Bible School was shipwrecked. And so this morning, I'm going to preach on this subject, how to survive a shipwreck. How do you survive a shipwreck? And we're going to look in Acts chapter 27. And we're delighted that you're worshiping with us today. we got many guests, many visitors today. A lot of you are parents. I promise you this, they'll take just as good as care of your kids back here right now in the junior church as they did all week long. There's plenty of workers. We got a fully staffed nursery and we appreciate you bringing your kids to church today. Now we're going to look in Acts 27 and I want you to look with me in verse number nine and the Bible says, and when much time was spent, when sailing was now dangerous because the fast, by the way, that's the day of atonement. It was already past. Paul admonished them and he said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only with the lading of the ship, but also with lives. Now, we're going to talk about a shipwreck. You know, in the Bible, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he suffered three shipwrecks. Isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't tell you about those different shipwrecks except for one, and that's Acts 27. And in Acts 27, he tells us the great story of being shipwrecked. Look back to verse 1, and we'll read a couple of verses up there. It says, when it was determined that we would sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and certain prisoners under one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan band. Let me explain that. Paul's been in a place called Caesarea. He's waited there for almost three years. And while he waits there, he has trial after trial, people like Agrippa, and we could keep going, Bernice uh, was there, and I mean, there was all different people that he talked to, and they tried him and tried him and tried him, and finally Paul says, because I'm a Roman citizen, I want to go to Rome, and I want to plead my case before the Caesar, which was the right of every Roman. And so they said, all right, that's what we're going to do. So they take Paul and they put him on a boat and they start to take him up to Italy from the Holy Land. Caesarea by the Sea is right there about 50 miles from Jerusalem. And it was a port built by a guy named Herod the Great. And it's a very special place if you ever get to go there. And they put him on a boat and they kind of, you know, did these, I call those kind of deals, puddle jumpers. These are little bitty boats. These are boats they sail by the sea uh, next to the shore. They didn't go across the sea. they they keep land in sight and they'd sail from one place to the next because they're trying to get him on a big boat, all right? One that will sail to Rome. And so he, he makes his way and he's going to sail on up to Rome. And so while he's on this great voyage, by the way, isn't it interesting that many times life is compared to a voyage? You've seen that before, haven't you? I'm sure they've heard songs like that. Uh, we've sing hymns every once in a while, being on life's tempestuous seas. I've been there, done that, and got the T-shirt. I'm sure you have too. And sometimes in life, we have storms that come. Sometimes, to be quite honest with you, we have shipwrecks. I was reading one of Max Lucchese's books, and he, I think one of his best stories, he talks about Chippy the parakeet. He says, he never saw it coming. One second, he's perfectly perched in his cage. The next, he's sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose. She stuck it in the cage, and the phone rang, and she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when (laughs) Chippy was gone. The bird owner gasped. She put down the phone. She turned off the vacuum. She opened the bag, and there was Chippy, still alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and suet, she grabbed him. She raced him into the bathroom. She turned the faucet on, and she held Chippy under the running water. And then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hair dryer and she blasted him with the the hair. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who initially wrote about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. She said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just kind of sits there and he stares. It's not hard to see why sucked in, washed up, blown over. That's enough to steal anybody's song. You know that's the way life is sometimes. Seems like when you don't expect it, when you least expect it, it seems like things can happen that are absolutely incredible. I was preaching one time in the Philippines and They started talking about a hurricane. They call them typhoons there. They said a typhoon was coming. I said, oh, great. Uh, If you ever go to the Philippines, you'll notice that the building codes aren't exactly like America. Most of the the tops of the roofs are are galvanized steel. And uh, it's not well built. It's not uh, hurricane proof. The houses, they just kind of throw them up. There's wires everywhere. Boy, I mean, to tell you, it came and it hit. And I was sitting in this hotel and thank God the hotel had its own generator because everybody else was without power and our power was still on. And I was sitting there in my room watching roofs being blown off the wind off the tops of these houses. And I thought to myself, Lord, help us. <laughs> I don't want to die in the Philippines. I'd like to leave Mindanao. I'd like to get on a plane and, and fly back to Manila and fly back home. Man, I mean to tell you, going through a storm is an incredible experience. And that's what this chapter is about. Isn't it interesting that God would take a whole chapter of the Bible and tell a story about a guy named Paul and if you look at verses two and three, it's gonna say that Dr. Luke was with him. How do you say, Pastor, you know that Luke was with him? Because this is one of those places where it starts by saying, we... Anytime you read the book of Acts and it says we, it means that Luke was there. Luke's the writer of the book of Acts. Luke's the writer of the gospel of Luke. And every time you come to a we section, it's not just a story he was told. It was a story that he was a part of. And there was a guy named Aristarchus. Aristarchus is from Thessalonica. He's a Gentile guy. And that's And there could have been Mark and there could have been Titus. There could have been several more that aren't listed. But the bottom line is these guys get on a boat. And the Bible says it's a grain boat. It's a a boat that leaves from Alexandria in Egypt. And it's filled with wheat. And they go up the coast. And finally, Paul and his party, these prisoners, Scripture says there's 276 passengers. They get on this grain boat that's going to Rome. Well, as you go on this story and as you look at this story, I told you I'm going to talk about how to survive a shipwreck. And notice what causes a shipwreck. Notice, look at verse number nine. Shipwrecks happen when? Notice some of the causes. Verse nine, after much time was spent when sailing was now dangerous. I know it doesn't say this, but will you trust me that I can tell you the history and kind of the culture and some of the stuff that goes on? You know, there were certain times when the wind was, was favorable to sail. There were certain times when they had uh, typhoons, hurricanes. You know, there's, there's certain times you don't want to go to Florida. How many are aware of that? Uh, You know, if you go on a cruise ship from now until about October, you're taking a chance that you're going to go out there and be in the middle of the Gulf with a a hurricane coming at you. And, And there were certain times when the wind would turn and sometimes it blew from south to north and sometimes it changed from north to south. You didn't want to be sailing when it came out of the north. And there were certain times of the year, from the, about the end of September until about the 1st of March, those were dangerous times. The winds were unpredictable. If you read this story very carefully, the Bible says while they're sailing along that the Bible says the winds were contrary. The winds were contrary. That basically means it's blowing out of the wrong direction. Now, you see, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that sometimes in storms, storms sometimes come in my life because, to be quite honest, I cause them. How many have ever had to face the penalty of a dumb decision? Right. Yes, amen. Oh, I'm so glad that, that I'm not the only stupid one here today. <laughs> I had a few of you amen that. Yeah, there's been a few times I brought some storms on myself. But you know what? Paul's in the center of God's will, and Paul's at the mercy of some people, and he's a prisoner. In verse number nine, if you look at this passage carefully, it says, when much time was spent. My daddy would have said it this way, you're lollygagging. Did your parents ever say that word? I never knew what it meant until I was about 14. It means you're messing around. You're wasting time. You're lollygagging. When the good time for sailing was going, when they should have left, when they should have boarded the boat and got with the program, they're, they're doing this and they're doing that. and they're, they, missed, they missed their window. Their window of opportunity was gone for sailing. Sometimes in our life, we cause storms and shipwrecks in our life simply because, number one, we act compulsively. They said, we don't care what the storms are. We don't care what way the wind's blowing. We got to go to Rome, and we're going now. You ever heard somebody say something? Well, just do something, even if it's wrong. Now, that's dumb advice. You can go to jail for doing that. Do something, even if it's wrong. Every good sailor knew it was not the right time to sail. Every once in a while in life, we do stuff that's compulsive. I remember when I was young and newly married and learning the tricks of the trade. (laughs) Basically, what not to do. (laughs) It was the gas shortage. How many remember when... Jimmy Carter, what some of you said, no, I don't remember that. That's about three presidents where you were born. But anyways, there was a guy named Jimmy Carter, and we had this gas shortage, and and dollar got up to, listen, a dollar a gallon. And it was a panic. We were waiting in gas lines, and and people were were buying little bitty uh, Japanese cars, and, and I got bit by the bug. So I went down, and I bought a Datsun, How many know what a Datsun is? Modern day Nissan. Are you with me? I bought a a, a Datsun 510 hatchback. It was yellow. It had black interior. It had a five speed. The fifth speed was an overdrive. That means it got really good gas. And the guy said, this car right here will get 30 miles to the gallon. And I told myself, it's the will of God. I do a lot of driving, and the bottom line is I'm paying too much at the gas pump, and so I'm buying this car. And I brought that car home, and I put it in the parking lot. I went inside and got my bride. We'd been married about a year, and I brought her out, and I said, sweetheart, look at your new car. (laughs) Her first question was, you mean you bought it and you didn't even ask my opinion? <laughs> didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> you mean you bought it and you didn't let me look at it at least once? You didn't. You didn't buy it. And you didn't let me offer my opinion. I said, "Well, sweetheart, you don't, I'm, learn from this. You're a girl." And girls don't know anything about cars. I was digging that grave, baby. I was digging that grave. Man, I was digging as fast as I could dig. She looked at that car, and she looked at me, and she said, and what's that thing in the middle there? I said, that's the gear shifter, babe. She said, I don't know how to drive a clutch. (laughs) By now, I'm almost to China. You said, Pastor, what did you do? I had a shipwreck. It was called being compulsive. I was out foxing Jimmy Carter. But boy, was I in the doghouse with Beverly Martin. You ever get compulsive? I had a guy come to me one time and he said, hey, pastor, he said, I got this investment. This investment is a sure thing. And you got to get in on it at the bottom floor. And if you don't get in on it, you're going to miss out. I took it home and I read it and he called me the next day and he said, no, I got to have a yes or no. I said, no. He said, Well, why aren't you gonna do it? I said, because I don't like being pressured. And I read through the stuff and I don't understand it. And I'll be real honest with you, I learned that if I can't explain it to my wife. I already been down there once, I ain't going back. I didn't buy. By the way, that guy's still in jail. It was a Ponzi scheme. Boy, am I sure glad I didn't buy. You know, I found out that some of my shipwrecks are caused because I'm compulsive. Oh, I bet I'm not talking to anybody out there like that. Come on, smile at me. It won't hurt you. Baptists are allowed to smile at church. You really are. Sometimes it's because of a sh- compulsive act. Sometimes it's because of consultation. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, And he said, And the says, I perceive that this voyage, this is the man of God, Paul. He says, It's going to end with hurt and damage. He said, Verse 11, Look at that word, first word, Nevertheless. By the way, every nevertheless in the Bible has a problem with it. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than the things that were spoken unto him by Paul. By the way, if I had to trust anybody, if I had to put my faith in anybody, it would have been with somebody that I knew that knew God. And Paul was on a first-name basis with God. And God comes along and God says, Paul, it's not a good time to sail. Bless God, then it's not a good time to sail. You see, sometimes storms and, and shipwrecks in our life come because we're compulsive, and sometimes they come because we listen to the consultation of others. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I'd go to my dad and i said, say, Dad, listen, we want to go do this. And uh, my dad said, no, I don't think it's a good idea. And this was always my idea. Well, you know, Billy down the street, his parents are letting him do it. Yeah. And here's what my dad always said. Son, if the whole world was jumping off a cliff, would you jump with them? Come on, anybody else heard that one at your house? Everybody's doing it! 50,000 Frenchmen can't be wrong! Sometimes we get pressured Sometimes we want to go with the crowd. Sometimes we say, hey, listen, I'm going to to do what everybody else is doing. And then we have a shipwreck. Then sometimes shipwrecks come because we look for comfort. Look at the next verse. The Bible says, and because the haven, look at verse 12. It says, because the haven was not commodious, I love that word. How many have used that word? I've used the word commode, but commodious. By the way, they're not even close. The word commodious here is the idea of being comfortable. You ever done anything because it was comfortable? You know, I've got to the age, I hate to admit this, but I'm into comfortable shoes now. I really don't give a stink what they look like. And I don't care if you like them or not. I'm going to wear shoes that are what? Comfortable. You ever make a decision because it was the comfortable decision to make? Only to find out later on it was very uncomfortable. Isn't it amazing how many people look for the comfortable way? Oh, today, nobody's to to be ever made to feel uncomfortable. They said, you know, Paul, we're not going to stay here. This is the wrong side of the island. This is not the side of the island that you want to winter in. This isn't where the good beaches are. This isn't where the pretty palm trees are. We need to go around to the other side of the island because the bottom line is we'll be more comfortable over there. Sometimes people make decisions based on, well, I don't like my boss. He makes me uncomfortable. I'm just going to quit. Or my neighbor's driving me crazy, think I'll move. Or my husband, what a jerk. See you later, alligator. Come on, how many decisions do people make based on whether or not it's comfortable? This is a yes. This is a no. I don't expect you to amen, but at least a little head movement wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes shipwrecks are caused because we're looking for comfort. Sometimes shipwrecks happen in our life because we go by consensus. Look at the next verse. The Bible says in verse 12, it says, the haven was not commodious. It wasn't comfortable to winter in. And the more part advised to depart thence. The centurion and the owner of the ship, they basically put it up to a vote. They said, all right, how many vote to go to the other side of the island? And there's 273 hands that go up for yes. And there's three hands that go up for no. Paul, Luke. Aristarchus did you know majority is a wonderful thing it truly is but I found out in my life sometimes the majority will get you in trouble 12 spies went into Canaan land They knew that God had promised them that land. They knew that God would be with them. And they came back. And when they came back, they said, listen, 10 of them said, you cannot believe the size of the giants in that land. You cannot believe these guys are are in, in, in their sight. We're like grasshoppers. And the majority, 10 of them, said, no, we don't need to go in. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, listen, God's with us. God's with us. And listen, he said, bottom line is, those guys may be huge. We may be grasshoppers, but God's going to make them the breakfast of champions. Man, we're going to go for it. God will be with us. We can whip them. And they said, forget it. You ain't going in. And God said, okay. You don't want to follow my will. You don't want to do what I want you to do. I'll send you back into the wilderness. And for the next 40 years, all you're going to do is go wandering until every one of this older generation dies. And they did. You see, sometimes in life, we cause our own shipwrecks because we're looking for consensus, we're looking for what the majority thinks. Instead of worrying about what God says and worrying about what God's word says, well, what do you think? What's the majority? All in favor? Sometimes we cause our own shipwrecks. But quickly, let me add, what's the cost when you have a shipwreck, I want you to follow with me for just a moment. Look down to verse 14. The Bible says, and, but not long after there arose a tempestuous wind called a Eurocladon. Eurocladon. Now, that's a big, big word, and basically it means here it is a nor'eastern. It means the wind kept. Instead of coming out of the south, the wind's blowing down from the north, and there came a tempestuous wind. And here comes a typhoon. Here comes a hurricane. And if you look at the story, and as you start reading along in this passage, you've got to remember this is in the days they didn't have GPS. GPS. This is in the days when they didn't have weather satellites. This is in the days when they looked at the sun, when they looked at the stars, when they looked at the shore. Here comes a hurricane. If you look closely at this story and you keep reading on, the Bible says for 14 days they didn't see the sun, the moon, or the stars. Absolutely no way to navigate. Absolutely no way to know where they were because bottom line is this storm caught them and just took off with them. Now what's the cost of a storm? First of all, look at verse 15. The scripture says, if you look, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? They took down the rigging and they just let the ship go over wherever the ship wanted to go. And, and they began to, listen to this. What's the cause? They wandered. You ever seen anybody in the midst of a shipwreck and all they did was wander? You ever met somebody that didn't seem to have any direction in life? You ever met somebody that seemed like life had beat them on the head several times and when you looked at them, there was kind of a vacant look in their eyes and it didn't seem like they knew where they were going. They didn't know which way was up. They didn't know which way was down. All they did was just wander aimlessly. By the way, I've just described huge portions of our society. Wandering. But notice, not only did they wander, they worked. Look at verse number 16. And when the ship was caught and it was wandering, we let her drive. And the Bible says, and running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we made much work to come by the boat. Here's what the bottom line is. Now let me tell you the story and just believe I'm telling you the truth. All of these big ships had what they called, I call them dinghies, lifeboats. And they had these particular boats, and what they did with these boats is they put anchors in the boats connected to a rope. And when they wanted to anchor in a harbor, they would get those anchors, put it in the boat, they'd row it ashore, and they'd put the anchor down. And then the boat would pull itself on the anchor end of the harbor. So they always had one of these boats that followed along a little bitty boat. And the Bible says they're in the middle of the storm and this boat's dragging behind this ship and they're doing their best to get rid of that dinghy. They're trying to pull that dinghy up on board. And so they're working, working, working in the middle of a hurricane, folks. We're talking a huge hurricane and they're trying to get that boat up onto the deck. The Bible goes on, it says, and when they had taken up, when they finally got the boat up on the deck, they used helps and they undergirded the ship. I mean, now the waves are so strong that they've put ropes, they put cables down underneath the hull and they've pulled it around to the other side and they put turnbuckles in there and they tightened them up so that the hull didn't come apart, so that the ship didn't break. I mean, they're in a storm, folks. They're working and they're working and they're working. There's some of us that have gone through great difficult times in our life. And we thought, well, if I just work harder, I can make my way through this. You know, I'm I'm an American. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. We'll, We'll make it. We'll put one foot in front of the other. We'll just work our way through this. They wander. They work. Look at verse 18. They waste, the Bible says, and being exceedingly tossed with the tempest. The next day they lighten the ship. Man, this this owner of this boat, that's his cargo. That's his precious treasure. That's what he's taken on to the next place to sell. And now they're, they're pitching it over the side. If you keep reading, the next, the next verse is going to say they took the rigging of the ship, they took the sails and the mast and anything else that wasn't tied down, and they're trying to get the, the boat to get up higher in the water. And they're throwing everything overboard. I'm going to be real honest with you. I had a man this weekend Ivan, I didn't ask you if I could tell this story. He had a guy come up to him and he said, "Hey, buddy." He said, "I got this incredible deal here," and he said, "How how'd you like to buy this this TV projection system?" Man, Ivan says, "How much you want?" He said, "I only got about hundred bucks in my pocket." Guy said, "Well, you didn't think you can't buy it that cheap?" I went down, got him one for. A little more money. He got him one heck of a deal. You, you say, Pastor, what do you think's going on in that guy's life? Well, how many people do you know that sell a twenty-five hundred dollar television for five hundred bucks? Yeah. You think maybe he has a storm? Or <laughs> well, maybe it's hot? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you ever sell something real cheap because you had to? As many yard sales and garage sales as we have in Middle Tennessee, you're going to sit there and look at me like that? <laughs> Seriously? I got a dear lady in this church. She can't come to church but about twice a month, but she don't miss a Saturday going to the junk, to the junk sales. Isn't it amazing how something that was so valuable at one thing at one time in our life and we paid big bucks for it, now it's not worth nothing? Jesus said one time, if a man could gain the whole world and lose his soul, what a waste. Psalm 90 says it this way. You get 70 years and perchance you may get 80. And folks, I want to be real honest with you. I've preached a bunch of funerals and I've yet to preach a funeral where I found on the back of a hearse a U-Haul. You say, Pastor, how much should he leave? You leave it all. You leave it all. You see... They wandered, they worked, they wasted. And then verse 20 says, look at the way it reads. It says, and when neither sun nor stars appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we would be saved was taken away. Look down to verse number 29. The Bible says, then fearing lest we would light fall upon the rocks, they cast forth four anchors, anchors out of the storm. And notice this, they wished for the day. I mean, it serious, folks. They get to the point where they say, man, we don't know if we're going to live or die. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't see the sun. We can't see the moon. We can't see the stars. All oh, hope is gone. We're just going to wish for the day. You know, I'm convinced there's a cost to a shipwreck. Well, what's the conquest? What's the cure? Let's talk about that just for a minute, very very quickly. I, I skipped some verses. Drop down, if you would, at verse number 21. Let's look back up there just for a second. Look at Acts 27, 21. Now, this is the good part. This is the part where you really need to pay attention. Look at what it says in verse 21. And after a long abstinence. By the way, these guys, let me fill in the blanks. If you're in the middle of a storm... And it's like this, and the boat's going crazy. How many think you're going to be hungry? How many want to bet you've been seasick? I'm betting on seasick. What do you want to bet? So they're not eating anything. And by the way, they didn't eat for like 14 days. The Bible says there was a long abstinence, and the scripture goes on. Uh, Paul says uh, in verse number 21, he stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs? I love this. You ever have anybody that says, well, I told you so. You should have listened to me way back when. (laughs) Look what Paul does. Verse 21, he says, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not loose from Crete and, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer for there'll be loss of no man's life among you but the ship. You say, Pastor, what's going on here? Well, let me help you Some something. Paul has a vision of an angel, and an angel stands by Paul. And by the way, this is the third time in the book of Acts that an angel appears unto Paul and encourages him. You say, Pastor, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as somebody that believes in God, when you go through the storms, what's the conquest of the storms? Listen to me. First of all, the angel of God gladdened Paul. He cheered him. Be of good cheer. Be not afraid. By the way, can I help you some? Be not afraid is said 365 times in your English Bible. 365 times, guys, it says fear not. Fear not. You say, why does he say that? Because we need to hear it about once a day. The angel of God comes to Paul and he cheers him. He gladdens him. Oh, but notice not only does he gladden Paul, he guards him in this storm. Paul, there's nothing for you to fear. There's nothing for you to be afraid of. Everyone's going to live. Everyone's going to make it. You're going to come to the other side. God guards him. God gladdens him. And then God... Notice this, he guides them. Look at verse 24, this is fantastic. Fear not, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. Now underline that in your Bible right there. This is the third time that God has told Paul that he's going to Rome. Now let me ask you a question. Look up here just for a second. If God told you he was going to Rome, how many think you could take that to the bank? If God says, hey, Phil, you're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. You know what I think? I'm going to Rome. God makes you a promise. God tells you in his word. You can take it to the bank. You see, God guards him and God gladdens him, but God guides him. You say, Pastor, why is God going to make sure that he gets to Rome? Well, let's go back and remember who's on the boat. You got Dr. Luke. Luke is Paul's personal physician. You remember that? And Luke hasn't wrote Luke yet. How many want to bet that God's going to keep Luke alive long enough to write the Gospel of Luke? You want to take a vote on that? He hasn't wrote the book of Acts yet. Are you listening? By the way, you got another guy on that boat. His name's the Apostle Paul, and he hasn't wrote the book of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, or Philemon. How many want to bet that God's going to keep Paul long enough alive to write those books of the Bible? I'll help you again. This is a yes. Yes. This is a no. How many want to bet that God's going to keep alive long enough to write those books in the Bible? This is a yes. He said, Pastor, what are you doing? I'm making your head into a bobber. That's what I'm trying to do. Hey, God's going to make sure his word comes out just the way he's got it planned. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, mark it down. It's going to get written down by Paul, and he's got to go to Rome in order to write it down because those are called prison Epistles. He writes those letters while he's still in prison. So God guards him and God gladdens him and God guides him. And by the way, the same God that cheers us and keeps us and has a purpose for us is the same God that takes us through our storms. In life, you say, Pastor, how do you survive a a storm? How do you survive a hurricane? How do you get through a shipwreck? God. And what He does. Little boy had the most horrible thing happen that could possibly happen. He was in a car wreck with his mother. He lived, she didn't. This little five-year-old boy was in the hospital when his mama was buried. The story was, when he finally got out of the hospital, his daddy took him home. Mama's not there. Daddy's taken down some of the pictures that would make him cry. Daddy's taken her clothes and gotten rid of the clothes. And the Little boy begins to cry. Nighttime became a horrible time because he missed his mama. And one night, he could hear his little son crying and he went in the bedroom and he said, son, Mama knew the Lord. She's in heaven. He said, but Daddy, I miss my mama. He said, I miss her too. The little boy looked into the face of his daddy and he said, Daddy, is it okay if I sleep in your bed tonight? Daddy said, sure. They walked into the bedroom and there they laid and that little five-year-old boy laid in the place where that mama used to lay. They talked for a few minutes. Finally, Daddy said to that little boy, he said, son, it's time for you to go to sleep. The little boy quit talking. He laid there in the dark for a few moments, and finally, in the darkness, he asked his daddy, he said, Daddy, is your face turned towards me? Are you laying on your side? Are you looking at me? His daddy said, Son, I'm looking at you. The boy said, then it'll be all right. And off to sleep he went. And that dad got out of that bed. He pulled the shades back on the window. And he looked towards the stars. He said, God, are you looking towards me? Is your face turned towards me? And it's almost like you can feel God's hand on him. And God says, yes, it'll be all right. See, Pastor, how do you make it through the storm? You make sure his face turned towards you. And if God's watching, there ain't nothing that can happen to you that he don't know about. That's how you survive the storm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.